Good morning, friends. You remember last week that we started on a message series on condemnation. Romans verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In my first part of this message, I suggested to you that uh, we have to accept that what God says about us is true. And that God's tests are not meant to destroy us, but to reveal our weaknesses so that we will learn to trust in him more. We also suggested that we aren't the best judges of where we stand spiritually, and that life is always a mixture of success and failure. My recommendation to you is that you write out Romans 8, 1, stick it where you can see it, and repeat it every day, because it's the foundation of all spiritual progress. Now, that's a little bit of background, so let's take a look at what this verse really means. What do we discover when we move from the last part of Romans 7 to the first part of Romans 8? I would suggest that in these verses we discover a number of great truths. First of all, there is a struggle in the Christian life. Remember what Paul said? He said, in my mind I want to please God, but there is something in me that makes me want to do the opposite. Over and over again he says, that which I would do, I do not do. That which I hate, I do. I think we all understand, don't we? In the morning we get up, we say, Lord, this is your day, and I'm going to be your servant and do your will today. So we set our goal to accomplish a certain number of things that we know will be pleasing to God. And then as we go through day, we don't do one. We halfway do number two. We skip number three. We almost get most of number four. and Well, we don't even do number five at all. Then we say, Lord, with your help, I'm not going to lose my temper. But we lose it by about 9 o'clock. Lord, help me with my critical spirit. But by 10.30 in the morning, we're slicing and dicing. Lord, help me not to gossip. But by the time we get to 1.30 in the afternoon, we've blown that one too. The very things we said we were going to do, we didn't do. The things we said we'd never do, we do. And some of us have lived that experience over and over this week. <clears throat> But friends, Romans 7 is not the whole story. I want to make a couple of points about that. Number one, Romans 7 is Paul's autobiography of his experience as a Christian believer. I don't agree with those who see Romans 7 as either a defeated or subnormal Christian, or as a non-Christian, or as a person under conviction. I believe that Romans 7 is simply stage one, one part of the normal Christian experience. I do not believe that Romans 7 is the total story of a Christ follower. But I do not believe that we should throw it out and say it has no bearing on us today. Let's be honest. You can be a very great Christian, as the Apostle Paul, and you can at the same time struggle a great deal in your walk with God. Paul is just being honest with us in chapter 7. He's saying that even though he was an apostle, he felt the struggle between his desire to please God and the pull of his sinful flesh. Romans 7 describes a struggle which is part of your walk with God. Thank God it's not the whole story, but it is one part of the story. That's why when Paul said in verse 24 in chapter 7, O wretched man that I am, I understand him. He's not just talking about himself, he's talking about me, and he's talking about you. We struggle in many different ways. For instance, we struggle between what we know and what we actually do. We also struggle between our better desires and our lesser desires. We struggle between what we know God wants us to do and what we would rather do if God would just leave us alone. We struggle all the time, torn this way and that way. That's part of what it means to live in this sin-cursed world. Some people don't want to hear truth like that. 
They wish I would just say that struggle should not be part of the Christian life, but I can't do that. It wouldn't be true to what I believe the Word of God says. Anyone who tells you that struggle does not belong in the Christian life actually has a non-biblical view of what it means to live the Christian life. If Paul struggled, we'll struggle too. If Paul felt he was being pulled this way and that, the same thing will happen to us. I don't believe that Romans 7 is the full explanation for Paul's dynamic life. I'm simply pointing out the truth of Romans 7 is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There is a time to struggle. Sometimes people come to Jesus and then get upset because things don't go well. They get upset because they have relationship difficulties, financial difficulties, personal difficulties, emotional, marital problems in different areas of life. They get discouraged, they get disillusioned, they get angry with God, wonder what's wrong with them. And often there's nothing deeply wrong with you and if you're going if you're going through a period of struggle, it's just part and parcel of what it means to live on this earth. So that's point number one from Romans 7. There is a struggle in the Christian life. Now second, that struggle is without condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That verse should be understood as the topic verse for all of Romans 8. Everything he says all the way through verse 39 is simply a restatement of no condemnation all the way down to the end of the chapter. It's interesting to read this verse in its original language, in the Greek language. When Paul wrote it, he used a different word order. Now, normally when the New Testament writers wanted to emphasize this particular word, they would put it at the first part of the sentence. That was their way of saying, this is important, pay attention. In the Greek, the first word is not therefore, or there, or is, or now. The first word in this verse in the Greek is the word no. The fifth word is first in the original because Paul wants to emphasize in the strongest possible way that there is no condemnation. That's why he took the word no and moved it to the front. There is therefore no condemnation. He might actually translate it this way. There is no condemnation, none whatsoever, for the believer in Christ Jesus. Let me see if I can explain what it doesn't mean, and then I'll try to tell you what it does mean. He is not saying there is therefore now no cause for condemnation. That wouldn't be true. You fail, I fail. You stumble, I stumble. You get off the path, so do I. Sometimes we barely make it. Paul is not saying there is no cause for condemnation in us because if God were to look down from heaven and were to judge you moment by moment, he'd find plenty of cause for condemnation. So that's not what he's saying. Is Paul saying there is therefore no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus? No. Is he saying there is therefore now no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus? No. Is he saying there is therefore now no stumbling for those who are in Christ Jesus? No. He is saying there is, therefore now, no condemnation, no punishment, no coming into judgment, or no penal servitude for the followers of Jesus Christ. When Jesus saved you, he didn't say he would take away all your problems. Do you know what that means? We may stumble, fall, trip, make a thousand mistakes, sin, get off the path, go astray, have a thousand problems, but for the believer in Jesus, there is no condemnation because God has said it is so. You can struggle, but you're not condemned. You can fall, but you're not condemned. You can trip, but you're not condemned. You can stray off the path, but you are not condemned. 
all because God has said that he will not condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, when Jesus saved you, he didn't say that he would take away all your problems. No, but he did say in your problems, in your struggles, in your failures, in your going astray, there is no condemnation. Now, that's what it doesn't mean. So what does it mean then? <clears throat> well, first of all, it means there's no rejection for the believer. God is not going to reject you just because you struggle. Most of us know the story of the prodigal son. He was in his father's house, went off to a far country. There he gave himself to riotous living, spent all of his inheritance, and ended up in the pig pen. He hit rock bottom. The son who'd had it all went from the top to the bottom, left his family, squanders his inheritance, and now lives with the pigs. Now what is the difference between a pig and a man in a pig pen? Well, the pig just, just keeps on eating the husks. After a while, the man says, I will arise and go to my father. Now, where was the father when the son returned home? Not in the house. He was out on the road coming to meet him. It's a picture of our experience as believers. There is no rejection for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even those who wander, even those who stray, even those who've been living for a long time in the far country and are embarrassed because they've squandered the spiritual inheritance of God's kingdom. Sometimes you're scared to death to turn back because you think God's going to condemn you. But friends, remember, God already knows everything you've done and everything you've dreamed of doing. He loves you anyway. You're still in his family. And the moment you say, I will arise and go to my father, in that very moment he will say, kill the fatted calf, let's have a party. My son and my daughter who was lost has been found. They were far away, but now they've come home. Sometimes we make the same dumb mistakes over and over. What then? Well, we repent by God's grace. We change our minds. We change our directions. We stop making excuses. We confess to God and to others. We seek God's help. We ask others to help us. And we ask God to help us as we move forward. But often we think, I'm a failure. And so we conclude that God must hate us. Our sin certainly separates us from a close walk with God. But it cannot reverse the divine proclamation of no condemnation. Christian growth does not happen first by behaving better, but believing better. Believing in a bigger, deeper, brighter ways what Jesus has already secured for sinners. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says it quite simply. If our debt was paid, it was paid, and there is an end of it. A second payment cannot be demanded. Is Jesus enough for you, friend? Well, second, there's no punishment. There's discipline, there's correction, which may be very painful. You might want to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. But there's no harsh, abusive punishment. You know, it's amazing to watch little kids play baseball. The ball comes six foot over their heads, and they swing. The ball comes right down the middle, and they just stand there. The coach says stay, and they start running. The coach says run, and they just stay put. I remember a few years ago watching one game where the coach told one of the outfielders, move up, come on, come on, move up, move move up. And the kid didn't want to. So the coach physically walked out to the field and moved him up. And you could just see the terror in his face. And for him, Babe Ruth was at the plate. And he takes this mighty swing and boom, there goes the ball. <clears throat> and the outfielder is petrified. He can't move and the ball goes right through his legs. And the tears welled up in his eyes and he's trying to blink them back. And the coach who moved him up said, that's all right. That's okay. Nice try. You'll catch it next time. 
and a shy half-grin spread across his face as if to say, Yeah, I did pretty good, didn't I? <clears throat> well, in some way, that's what God does when we fail. He helps us back up. He tells us where we went wrong. He puts us back in the game. That's what Paul meant when he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Still, some Christians go through life with a heavy load of guilt, not just because they struggle, but because they feel condemned by God. They feel like God hates them, but he doesn't. His thoughts toward us are thoughts of love. Even when he must discipline us severely, he does it for our own good. Even his chastising is for our ultimate benefit. I don't know of any truth more important, more satisfying, or more liberating than the great truth that for those who know Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Why? Because your sins are gone. Why? Because Jesus condemns sin by his death on the cross. If he condemns sin by his death on the cross, God will never condemn you. Who are you going to believe, the devil or God? The devil condemns us day and night and whispers in our ears, Condemned. But God says, No condemnation. Now who are you going to believe, the devil or God? You have to make up your own mind, but I'm going to believe what God has to say. I read this not long ago. It goes this way. A soul that comes to the full realization that he ought to be in hell, but that in reality the Lord Jesus took his hell, and that there is therefore now, 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 no condemnation for him because he's in Christ Jesus, is likely to be quite moved by that truth. If the members of the human race are permitted to yell because their team won a football victory, because their candidate won an election, because they have won $50 on a horse race, because their drilling has produced a gusher, let us shout for joy because we are in Christ Jesus. There is, therefore, no condemnation for us now. What a wonderful paragraph. You know, I can't think of a better, more encouraging spiritual truth that I could share with you. For those who are in Christ Jesus, now, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but now, there is no condemnation. When it comes to salvation, there are only two places you can be. You are either outside of Christ or you're in Christ. If you are outside, you are condemned already. That's what John 3.18 says. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. If you are outside of Christ, judgment is still in front of you in the future. But if you are in Christ, your judgment is behind you in the past. That's why there can be no condemnation if you're in Christ. You've already been judged. You trusted Christ by his death on the cross that took the judgment meant for you. Are you in Christ? Where are you right now? Are you outside of Christ and lost, or are you in Christ and safe? I urge you with all of my heart, with every fiber of my being, if you are not sure, if you do not know where you stand, run to Jesus and embrace the cross. If you are outside of Christ, come by faith to Jesus. When you come, you will discover the most liberating truth in the world, that in Christ there is no condemnation. Well, thanks again, friends, for listening. God bless. We'll talk to you real soon.